Our scripture reading for this morning is from John 1, verses 4 through 13. And this is found on page 886 of your pew Bibles. Um, If you would like to take a Bible home as a gift from us, please do so. That'd be great. Let's go to the word. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about that light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you so much, Marcus, for welcoming us, welcoming us and reading God's Word. Uh, my name is Paul Brandis, and I serve here as the associate pastor. Uh, and I want to even just give a, a word of thanks to Marcus. Um, one of my current areas of focus is serving with our students, and so I'm grateful uh, for his work that he's done over the last few months and will continue to do with us uh, as he completes the Marketplace Fellowship Program, um, which you perhaps have heard about. It's for uh, just graduated college students. Uh, we, we bring them in, and they're here with us, uh, living together and serving and also working. They get jobs, and so we uh, have uh, had Marcus on our team here the last few months, and it's been a great experience, and so we're glad, glad to have him with us. Well, as we open uh, God's Word this morning and, and study the passage that Marcus just read for us, uh, we, we need God's help to understand it. Um, and so I'd ask you and invite you to join me uh, by bowing your heads, and we'll pray for God to illuminate uh, our time together. O God, on earth's first day, you caused light to shine out of darkness. Now, here and now, flood our hearts with light from your word. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, you are the light of the world. As we read and speak and listen, shine light in and through us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, when I was growing up, the two main television channels that kids would watch and my wife wanted me to make sure to tell you that you only watch these two channels if you had cable, uh, but nevertheless, the two channels that I remember the most were the Disney Channel and Nickelodeon. And in my experience, you could not watch both of these. You either were a Disney kid or you were a Nick kid. I mean, this is West Side Story, the Jets and the Sharks, right? It's, it's choose. You got to go one direction. Now, maybe you already have me pegged, but uh, guilty, I was a Disney kid through and through. And and I think maybe upon reflection, uh, the reason that I was a Disney kid, or at least one of the reasons, uh, is because Nickelodeon carried a show that absolutely terrified me. Are you afraid of the dark? Are You Afraid of the Dark revolved around a group of teenagers who called themselves the Midnight Society. And every week at a different undisclosed location deep in the woods, are you scared yet? (laughs) They would take turns telling each other scary stories. And then the scary stories themselves, not the, the kids telling them, they would be what was shown to the viewer, to the Nick 
kids, right? Now, the show was a commercial and critical success. It had seven seasons, 91 episodes. It won numerous awards, but none of it was because of me. You see, because I answered the question in the title really quickly and forcefully. Am I afraid of the dark? Why, yes. Absolutely I am. <laughs> Terrified, actually, and back to the Disney Channel. That's so Raven was more my speed, okay? <clears throat> Some of you know. <laughs> and I think the show was titled that way for a reason, because a lot of people like me are actually afraid of the dark. Uh, it's picking at something that's true in the human experience. And, and while it may not seem like it at first glance, I, I actually think the Christmas season that we're entering into has a unique perspective on the topic of darkness. I mean, think about it. What are Christmas lights if they are not something like beautiful attempts uh, to push away the darkness that envelops us, especially after daylight saving time, savings time? And so I think this morning we have to start by asking, what is darkness? And while we could turn to the dictionary definition, I, I'm far more interested, and maybe you are too, by what we mean by the metaphor of darkness, the metaphor of darkness. And the answer to that, the metaphor of darkness, that cuts across both time and culture. At virtually every turn in human history, from Indiana to India, darkness as a metaphor has mostly, among other things, but mostly stood for the concept of evil which isn't that just a cheery start this morning, right? Merry Christmas. Have you done your Christmas shopping yet? Oh, and by the by, can I talk to you for a bit about darkness and evil? I mean, I, I get it. But, but, but stick with me for just a minute because this actually is important. I promise the lights won't be off forever. You see, this is important because there are some who are beginning to make an argument, or there's a growing school of thought that evil doesn't actually exist that what we've traditionally called evil is actually just a neurodefect, a brain bug that causes us to make bad decisions. And while a lot of times I think it might be nice to have, uh, I'd avoid culpability for my actions, I mean, you can just see it now, right? My brain bug made me do it. <laughs> I think most of us agree that there is real evil in this world. There is real darkness. Even the prominent atheist author, Christopher Hitchens, was no longer with us, but even he couldn't escape the haunting feeling that evil is a force that we cannot deny. While he was still living, he wrote an obituary for Osama bin Laden, and in it he wrote this, I thought then, and I think now, that Osama bin Laden was a near flawless personification of the mentality of a real force, the force of Islamic Jihad. And I also thought and think now that this force absolutely deserves to be called evil. And all of this brings us to our first point this morning. There is a real darkness that we cannot deny. There is a darkness that we cannot deny. Now, this Christmas season, we're in, we're in week two of a teaching series in the book of John, the Gospel of John, and we're trying to focus on how big the Christmas story is. You see, we tend to narrow Christmas down to the presence under the tree, but Christmas is so much more than happy birthday, Jesus. Now, what did I get this year? No, the true story of Christmas is the story of a beautiful sunrise after a long, dark night. And John, the Apostle John, 
is someone who saw that sunrise firsthand. He was one of Jesus' 12 original followers and friends. He walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, touched Jesus, and then he decided to write his gospel account of Jesus' life. Why? Why did he write? Well, he tells us in the gospel, he says, I wrote so that you may believe. I wrote so that you could believe as I did. And this morning we're seeing that John wants us to believe that Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the one who can actually deal with the darkness. Because John, you see, doesn't want us to remain in the dark. John doesn't want us to live in fear. Because John, he himself, he felt the sun's warmth. He saw its liberation, and so he wants to invite us to see and receive this light for ourselves. And now as simple and as good as that may sound, we know in our heart of hearts that it's a little bit more complicated than that because you see there's still this problem of the darkness that we cannot deny. The darkness we can't deny. John himself, in his prologue, you heard it read this morning, he references the darkness in verse 5 of our passage. And I have to wonder, when he wrote those words, I have to wonder if he had in mind the words of the prophet Isaiah when he penned this section of his prologue about the relationship between dark and light. Let me read for us from the book of Isaiah, the words of the prophet, chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. Someone may say to you, let's ask, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? No, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. In fact, they will be thrown out into the darkness. This passage is actually doing something a little bit different with the metaphor of darkness. I think we know and we've seen and we've experienced darkness as evil. This passage is talking about darkness as ignorance, as, as confusion, and when you put those two things together, darkness as evil and darkness as ignorance, then what you get on the other end of that equation is actually a perfect picture of the human predicament. You see, we live in perpetual darkness, evil corruption and confused ignorance, and because of those things, we are therefore incapable of saving ourselves. But we sure do try, don't we? We try to rescue ourselves. I mean, the passage in Isaiah 8, it outlines this, this tragic picture of humanity going from one place to another, weary and hungry, looking, looking, looking. Where can we find the light? Stumbling around in the dark room, bumping into furniture, trying to find our own light. But the tragedy is that when we try to find our own light, what happens is we end up choosing the darkness over and over and over again. John makes this very point in our passage this morning. Look at verse 10. John 1.10 reads this. He, referring to Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. I mean, stop for a moment and consider the cosmic irony and tragedy of that verse. He, Jesus, he was in the world, he came to the world, and the world was created through him. Jesus created 
everything you see around you, everything we don't see around us. Jesus is the creator, and he came to his creation, and his creation did not know him. Well, but what about his own people? What about the Jews? Certainly with the scriptures, with the law, with all of the prophecies. Surely they, surely they would have known him. John deals with this. One verse later, verse 11, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. I mean, isn't that a dark picture? The rest of the gospel tells this story. The rest of John's gospel, the authorities of that world, the religious leaders of Jesus' people, the Jews, and then even the masses, even the crowds by the end, they were unified in their calling out for one thing related to Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. His own people did not know him. But you see, this isn't, and we know this, this is not just a failure for the Jewish people. Absolutely not. No, this is a failure for all of us at all times and all places. In fact, the double meaning of our point, there is a darkness that we cannot deny, is that there is a darkness in each of us that we can't deny. And we so often choose it. We choose to avoid the light. You see, we can't deny that there is darkness. Some people try to do that. But we also so often choose the darkness. We can't deny it in our own lives, in our own hearts. So even though the light has come, so often, and I put myself right here, so often, time after time, we choose darkness instead of light. Why is that? We've already admitted this morning that we're all kind of just a little bit afraid of the dark, right? And that, like nobody I meet longs for evil, pain, suffering, injustice. We all want for the sun to rise in a good world, don't we? We don't choose the dark because it's not that somehow darkness is more powerful than light. I mean, in our lived experience, we know that that's not true either. When the sun rises, the night retreats. When you walk into the dark room and flip the switch, the darkness is gone. Light replaces it. Light overcomes darkness, not the other way around. So it's not that darkness is more powerful. It's not because we don't know that light is better. Everybody would choose light over dark. Light makes life possible. In the light, we can see and be seen. We can enjoy all that the world has to offer in the light. So why? Why, when we have the choice, do often or so often do we choose the dark over the light? Well, here's why. It's because the truth is we all have things that we'd rather keep in the dark. We all have things that we would rather keep in the dark. We're terrified what is lurking in the darkness of our own hearts. We hate the evil that dwells there, but we also know that there are certain things about us or in us that we'd rather keep hidden under the cloak of darkness. Jesus himself, he, he makes this point, starting in, in one of the most famous Bible verses in the whole Bible, John three sixteen. This is the point Jesus makes here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But let's keep reading. 17 and following. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19. Here's where John he unpacks what he set up in the prologue between dark and light. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. 
The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We all have stuff that we'd rather keep hidden in the dark. Verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen, so that his works have been carried out in God. We all have stuff that we don't want exposed, and so we tell ourselves, sure, I don't want or like the darkness, but I I like it or I want it more than being exposed. And we see this everywhere. I think we see this in the cover-up of Matt Lauer from the Today Show. I mean, Matt's story is one of corporate cover-up. It's one of looking the other way. It's one of darkness rather than light. Why? Why not bring to light his abuses? And I think the ugly truth is that Matt kept NBC at the top. He was the cash cow, and you don't kill the cash cow. Or what about the NFL's desire to keep people in the dark related to the problem of concussions? I mean, some of the most recent research into what playing in the NFL does to your brain is really scary. Why would we keep that in the dark? Because if it came out into the light, it might fundamentally change a multi-billion dollar industry. We can't have that. But this isn't something that is done only by large corporations. No, this is also done by everyday people just like you or me. The extra income that doesn't make it onto your tax return, that just tiny little white lie, that late night at the computer, that slight exaggeration of the story over coffee, the envy for a coworker or hate towards a family member, all of it tucked away in the dark places in our hearts. And see, there's, there's at least two things that happen when we live like that and when we choose the darkness over the light. And they're heavy. They're heavy. I know they are. But I write myself right into this story as well. The first thing that happens when we consistently choose darkness over light is that we actually make the world a darker place. You see, we trick ourselves into thinking that the things that that we can keep hidden in, in the dark of our own lives won't somehow affect the others around us or it won't affect the broader world, but that's not true. If we do that, then the world becomes a darker place. It becomes a place where fear has a greater stronghold, where hurt and pain thrive, where evil goes overlooked. And the second thing, the second thing that happens if you consistently choose darkness over light is that you lose yourself in the darkness. You aren't even able to recognize yourself anymore and the darkness slowly consumes you. Because this is what happens with literal darkness, isn't it? When you walk, think about the last time you walked into a really dark room. At first, the darkness is overwhelming, it's oppressive. But what happens after just 30 seconds? After just a minute, your eyes adjust and you begin to lose yourself in the darkness. But you see, I don't think any of us really want that. I don't think any of us really want to live that way. And so we don't have to. There is another way. And we've already hinted at it this morning. The other way is the light. But I've held back. We've, we've held back this morning because what good is the light if you don't really understand and reckon with the darkness? What good is it? So yes, there is a darkness that we cannot deny, but thanks be to God, there is also a light that cannot be overcome. There's a light that cannot be overcome. 
And we see this truth from the very first pages of Scripture. God's first creative act, the first thing he created to do, that he, he optioned to do in our world as he broke in miraculously, was call forth light out of darkness. And that is what we see God do over and over and over again. We serve and we worship a God who brings light out of the darkness so that he may destroy the darkness. I mean, earlier we read the very dark picture of the people of Israel right before the Assyrian nation came and swept away their nation, Isaiah 8. The people, they have been thrust out into deep darkness. But we have to keep reading, don't we? Because what is the beginning of Isaiah 9? Isaiah 9.2 reads this way, the people walking in darkness, those that have been thrust out in darkness, they have seen a great light. Light out of darkness. This is what our God does. But you see, we must not think that this light is some impersonal force. I mean, this is what Star Wars does with the story, isn't it? I think I have a picture. So you've got the dark side and you've got the light side. They're sides. They're, I mean, it's, it's the force, right? Like, use the force. It's dark versus light, but it's all very impersonal. It's all very force-driven. And now, I'm not hating on Star Wars, Okay. I 100% am going to see episode 8 sometime in the next two weeks. That's happening. Listen, folks, I wrote this sermon while wearing a Darth Vader sweatshirt. <laughs> like, really, I almost snapped a selfie, like, in the office. Like, ah, that happened, okay? So I'm a Star Wars lover. But from that position, as a Star Wars lover, even I can admit that there is something lacking in the story. That the overarching story of Star Wars is somehow a copy. It's a derivative of the real story. And the real story, wait for it, okay? Don't. The real story is Christmas. And see, I know it's like, oh, Christmas, been there, done that my whole life, every year after year after year, okay? It's a little bit tired, but Christmas is the story. It is the light breaking into the darkness. It's a light that can never be overcome. And it's such a great story that every other story is a copy of it. And the reason that it's the original story is because the light is not just some impersonal force. The light is a person. The groundbreaking, earth-shattering, mountain-moving story of Christmas is that the ultimate expression of light coming out of darkness is a person, a man, God himself, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now that's a story worth copying. It's a person. It's Jesus. I mean, John describes this in his prologue in verse 9 this way. He says this, The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light, folks, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And I know I, I used this Jesus Storybook Bible a couple weeks ago, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't bear not bringing it back. It's too good. And in it, Sally Lloyd-Jones, she describes the physical star that God put in the heavens to, to direct people to Jesus. And then of Jesus, she writes this, this baby, this baby Jesus that was born in a manger, he would be like the bright star shining the sky that night, a capital L light to light up the whole world, chasing away the darkness, helping people to see, and the darker the night got, the brighter the star would shine. So yes, there is a darkness we cannot deny, and thankfully there is a light that cannot be overcome. But where does that leave us this morning, here, 
in Kansas City, in Brookside, in the 21st century? Where does that leave us? Well, I want to close this morning by, by trying to convince you, by trying to argue and convince you that we should walk in the light or we'll be lost in the darkness. Walk in the light or be lost in the darkness. Because this is a choice, isn't it? I mean, we've already covered how easy it is for us to choose the dark. So what about light? How do we choose to walk in the light? Well, three ways. The first way that we walk in the light is by receiving the light. Receive the light. So if it hasn't been clear already, the darkness is not just out there. And the darkness is not just contained in the bad people like Darth Vader or Osama bin Laden. No, the line between dark and light cuts straight down the heart of every man, woman, and child, every single one of us. One of my favorite movies is The Thin Red Line. The Thin Red Line is both at the same time, it's this soaring epic and also this really depressing monument to World War II. It's a beautiful movie. And at one point, there's a soldier who gives a a stirring voiceover, and he probes at the question of the origin of evil that resulted in the horrors of one of the bloodiest conflicts in human history. And this is what he says in that quote. He says this. He says, this great evil, where does it come from? How did it steal into the world? What seed, what root did it grow from? Who's doing this? Who's killing us, robbing us of life and light, mocking us with the sight of what we might have known? Does our ruin benefit the earth? Does it help the grass to grow, the sun to shine? Is this darkness in you too? Have you passed through this night? Is this darkness in you too? The Bible's consistent answer to that question is yes. It is. Which is why every single one of us needs to receive the light. Because you need it. And I need it. We all need it. So have you received the light? Have you received Jesus? Second, we must embrace the ways of the light. Walking in the light means we embrace the ways of the light. Because receiving the light, that's just the starting gun that goes off. We can't stop there. We only start there. The reality is that the race of faith is a long and trying journey. And along that path, as we're walking in the light, we must embrace the ways of the light. And nowhere in the Bible, in my opinion, does a better job of describing the ways of the light than the book of 1 John. You see, the apostle John, he didn't write just one book of the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of John, which we're studying this morning, and he wrote the book of Revelation, but he also wrote several letters. And one of his letters, 1 John, beautifully expands on the themes of darkness and light. Truly, there is no better book for describing how we ought to embrace the ways of light. And what we see in John's letter is that it comes back to something that Jesus said over and over and over again. There's great continuity and consistency between God's word, between the gospels and the letters. And John says it all comes back to obeying Jesus' commands. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 read this way. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. By the way, 1 John is really intense. (laughs) 
I mean, it just lays it out, right? It's, it's plain. It lays it out right there. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Did you catch that last bit? Walking in the light means walking in the same way that Jesus walked, embracing his ways, doing what he did, caring what he cared about, loving how he loved, forgiving how he forgave. And then John, he actually goes on through the rest of the letter and he spells out more ways to embrace the light. Confession of sin, chapter 1, verse 9. True love for your Christian brothers and sisters, chapter 2, 7 and 11, through 11. Repentance and righteous living, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Care for the vulnerable, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And on and on and on. The ways of the light, we must embrace them. We must yoke ourselves to Jesus and walk in the ways that he walked. So are you doing that? Are you embracing those ways? Are you walking in the light by confessing your sin and loving those around you and forgiving and being kind and taking second and giving yourself away and being patient? Are you embracing the ways of the light? Or are we all too often still making the choice to be lost in darkness? Finally, we must bear witness to the light. Receive the light, embrace the ways of the light, and bear witness to the light. If there is a true darkness, and if there is a true light, then how could we ever remain silent about it? And this, bearing witness to the light, this has been part of the story from the very beginning. It really has. Witness. John outlines this in his gospel in verses 6 and 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, to be clear, the John referenced there is not the Apostle John, but rather John the Baptist. It's a different John. John the Baptist, he wasn't a Baptist minister, but he was a baptizer of people in the River Jordan, calling them back to their commitment to God. Now, most folks at the time recognized that John the Baptist was sent by God to point God's people, Israel, back to true worship of him. But what nobody saw coming and what took everyone by surprise was when John started pointing at a person. Because you see, God's people were used to prophets coming and telling them that they should go back to the law, that they should go back to God's ways, that they should return to Yahweh. But what they were not used to was when John was standing in the River Jordan and Jesus came walking, to, came, came walking up and John pointed at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was new. Who is this man? John says, I'm not worthy to dust off his feet. You want me to baptize you? Who is this man? The one to which John the Baptist pointed, the one to which he bore witness about. And see, it's, it's, I love it. It's like John squared because John the Baptist bore true witness to Jesus, but then John the evangelist, John the apostle, he wrote it down. And now here today in 2017 in Kansas City, we are hearing John, the apostle's words, bear true witness to who Jesus is. Receiving the light has always meant bearing witness about the light. And so church, it's not an option. If we receive the light, if we embrace the ways of the light, then it means that we need to bear witness about the light. Madeline 
Engel, late author of the famous book series, A Wrinkle in Time, she, she wrote this. She said, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. So is this happening in your life? Are you bearing witness to the light both by how you live and by what you say? I'll be honest, this is a huge area of personal growth for me. I have some major gaps here. And if maybe I can invite you into this moment, I say, I think we might have some gaps as a church in this area as well. That we need to grow as a church in our commitment and our ability to bear witness to the light. And it's hard, I know it. But we're committed to it. And this is one of the reasons we're actually going to spend much of the year 2018 in the book of Acts. We're going to study the book of Acts because you read the book of Acts, and I'd encourage you to get started reading the book of Acts and read through it. And it's overwhelming how compellingly the early church bore witness to the truth of the light over and over and over again as they were sent from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. They bore compelling witness to the truth of Jesus, the light. So how might we be able to do that today? How could we continue and stand in that glorious tradition? Well, well, here's one way. And maybe you've noticed this with me. Christmas is a magical time of year where people are just a tad bit more open to the non-material. just feels like something wonderful is going to break in and enrich our lives. And so is it possible, and I know this is a big if, but is it possible that a friend or a family worker or a family member or a coworker just might be a little bit more receptive to an invitation? Hey, come join me at our Christmas Eve services. Hey, I don't know if you're a church-going person, but we love our church. Come, come be with us this Christmas season. Christmas season. And maybe that's still too much. I get it. I know that's hard. I'm with you there. So take a baby step. Hopefully you've heard about, we even shared about it this morning, the Christmas jazz concert. It's free. Pastor John has done a wonderful job organizing this. It's going to be incredible. And so I'd invite all of you to join us, and I'd invite you to invite your friends or family. Invite someone that's on your heart. Someone that that might never come to church on a Sunday morning, but they love jazz, or they love Charlie Brown, or they love hot chocolate. And you might not think it, But that is one step on the journey of bearing witness to the light. You know, verse 12 of our passage reveals what happens to those who receive the light. John 1.12. And John 1.12 reads this. It says, But to all who did not receive him, Jesus, and there were a lot, to all who did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, sorry, but to all who did receive him, to all who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. There were a lot that didn't receive him, a lot that didn't believe in him, but to those who did, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you know how amazing God's love is? When God turns on the light in your life and sees your mess, what he longs to do more than anything else is show you that what you were hiding in the darkness isn't worth holding on to. God wants to show you that what you're ashamed of, he's already forgiven in Christ Jesus. Show you, he wants to show you that what you think makes you broken beyond repair, he wants to redeem and bind back together. And he wants to show you that when you think, 
When you convince yourself that no one could ever want you because of what you are hiding in the darkness, what he wants to show you, what he longs to show you, is that he already sent his only beloved son, Jesus, so that by receiving him, you might become family. You might become a child of God, a son or a daughter. And if that isn't the journey, if that is not the journey to end all journeys, I don't know what is. Because you see, at the beginning of the Bible, the way the Bible describes us as enemies of God, we are on the battlefield. We have looked up at God in his rightful place in heaven, and we have said, I want that job. That spot is mine. I demand it. And we bear arms, and we go to battle against him. We're on the battlefield as enemies. But the truth of the gospel, the overwhelming, beautiful truth of the gospel is that while you were still engaged in battle against God, he saw you, he knew you were doing that, and he still loved you enough to send his only son, Jesus, so that you could move from the battlefield into the living room. Become a child of God, a son or a daughter, enemy to son, enemy to daughter, enemy to child. Don't you want to live in the living room? So embrace the light, receive the light, receive Jesus. St. Augustine once said, the only son of God, the only son of God does not want to remain alone. God longs to expand his family, so he sent the light of the world, Jesus, to be the way, to show the way. I mean, Jesus himself says in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Friends, today and every day, don't remain in darkness. Choose the light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the true light, for Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive him, that we would embrace his ways, and that we would bear true witness to him. That's hard, and I know in my own life I so often still choose darkness over light. Help me and help us not to do that, Lord. Give us power to choose your son Jesus today and every day by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen.